Thanks for listening to Shift Your Spirits. I'm Slade Robertson. I'm a professional intuitive, but I try to talk about spirituality with fewer hearts and flowers than most New Age blather. I also mentor emerging intuitives, psychics, and healers in a program called Automatic Intuition. It is Saturday, December 12, 2020, as I record this introduction. This week, I have an interview with evidential medium Jeffrey Peck about how he discovered and trained to develop his mediumship. Jeff is one of my closest friends in the spiritual community and in general in real life, and this show has been a long time coming. I'm very excited for you to hear it. As always, there's an oracle segment at the end, so be thinking about a question or a concern you have. Hold it in your mind, and I'll come back on after the final links and credits and leave you with that extra message. In personal news, we've recently lost a beloved pet, a dog, a blue healer named Stacy. She was 17 years old. It's a little complicated because she's not technically our dog. She belonged to a neighbor, but he is single and lives alone and works a lot. And she would have been just sort of locked in a garage. So we took to bringing her over to stay at our house during the day for the past 12, maybe 15 years. Um, She's very good with cats, and for a long time she was my cat Sam's closest animal buddy. My mom was extremely attached to her. Stacy's been in decline for months, and this process of deciding to help her cross over has been dragged out over the last few weeks, if not longer. I'm of the mindset that once I've made the emotional decision to euthanize an elderly companion animal, I do not linger in that limbo long for their sake. I I need it to be done really quickly. I truly believe that there can be no better ending to a pet's life than for them to live to old age and if they do not pass in their sleep, to be safely and peacefully euthanized in your arms. Um, but it's still devastating. It's a unique kind of grief that I know many of you can understand. My mom's life purpose is almost entirely identified with caregiving, especially for elderly pets. Stacy was so, so loved. And Jeff is a huge dog lover, so I know he won't mind my honoring Stacy in the intro to his interview. Before I forget, I do want to say a quick thank you to my newest supporters on Patreon, Yoko and Lisa. Thank you to all of you who continue to pledge your support. It demonstrates that you're enjoying the show and want it to continue. To find out how you can become a patron, support my time in producing this show, and access extra bonus content, please go to patreon.com slash shiftyourspirits. I met Jeffrey Peck in Hawaii in 2008 at an angel therapy practitioners conference, angel camp, we called it, um, the day after Barack Obama was elected president. And out of 300 people, there were only three men there. So it was very easy for us to find each other. I was there seeking clarity on my automatic intuition program, which I ended up releasing the following year. 
And over the years, Jeff and I have only seen each other in person physically three times. Um, although he is one of my best friends, our meetings have taken place in some amazing locations. Thanks to him, um, starting with the big Island, of course, and then Sedona, Arizona and the mirror woods outside San Francisco. Jeff's the person I would have been most likely to want to interview if I'd started this podcast 12 years ago. He's also been sort of on the guest list forever and um, the time has finally arrived you know how I often refer to a friend of mine who's a medium the one who has the divination card collection larger than any new age bookstore I'm talking about Jeff Um, there are a few people who've never been on this show before who are nevertheless the original and ongoing inspiration for my interviews which is kind of letting people eavesdrop on the conversations I have with my brilliant and interesting friends and acquaintances. Um, Seth might be the only one left at this point that I haven't dragged before you. Uh, But Jeff, yes. Oh, if only our conversations could have been recorded all these years. I would have content for decades. Over the past 18 months, especially as Jeff was immersed in his training I've been anticipating this interview, so I purposefully withheld some questions that I had for him so that I could actually ask him for the first time here and now with you guys listening. I didn't want to try to repeat a conversation we'd already had. That always comes across as really corny. So with someone I know like this, I try to pick something that we haven't spoken about specifically before and then I withhold talking about it until the interview actually happens. So this is a brand new conversation for both of us and I started off by asking him to describe for us this term, evidential mediumship. Evidential mediumship is, it's when we are communicating with your loved ones on the other side and they're bringing through evidence that only you would know. Evidence that could never be Googled or on Facebook or um, that only you would know. Like so many times uh, something comes through that you know you never told anybody. Um, evidence from your childhood. Evidence from from their life. You know their hobbies. Their their what what they held really important and dear to them. So is that like a is that like a type of mediumship within a, a sort of broader part of the term, or is that more like? Um, a product like this is what your goal is to produce this type of evidence when you do a well, reading? I think it's, you know, it's more than just your grandma Betty is here and she loves you. Your grandma Betty is here and, um, you know, she is very proud of who you are today. You know, that's all great to hear. You know, that's awesome. We want to hear that. But it's not evidential. Like, I want to prove to you 
who we have. I want you to truly feel the essence of this person coming through. And when you are hearing from them how they're bringing up a memory of like, say you were five years old and you fell down the stairs and skinned your knee and your grandma was there to kiss your boo-boo and fix it and make it all better, you know, that's that really holds dear when when they're hearing these memories that quite often they may have forgotten until that moment and they're like, oh, yeah. So it is, I guess, a product that I aim to deliver because I want to be able to prove the existence that we carry on, that we don't die. I want to prove to them that their person is right here, right there with them. And part of the evidence, evidence too, is, is um, they talk about their life now. You know, they talk about something that happened in their life last week. Mm. And, and that's just, uh, it's enormous. And oh, I just love it. It gives me chili bumps from head to toe. <laughs> so how how did you know that you had the ability to do this well back in november <clears throat> excuse me of 2011 i mean 2006 it was november 11th 2006 um i became became attuned to the reiki energy and i initially got into it for my mother uh, my mom suffered with uh, fibromyalgia and osteoarthritis and degenerative disc disease and so she was in chronic pain and um i thought well i'll give it a try can't we don't have anything to lose right so a side effect to becoming attuned to the reiki was that it just blew me wide open and i didn't understand what was happening but i started to experience visions and lights and colors and um feelings. Um, I would see vignettes of what looked like little home movies in my mind's eye. And, and I didn't understand what was happening because I knew they weren't my memories. And I knew they weren't memories of, say, movies I had seen in the past. Um, so then one thing just led to another. And, and um, when the student is ready, the teacher arrives. So here comes Doreen Virtue. And that's where I met you back in 2008. And we went to that angel camp in Hawaii. And, <laughs> and I thought we were there really just to learn about angels. And I had no idea that a day was going to be devoted to mediumship. Do you remember that? I don't. I don't really remember it. Remind me. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it was a, a part of her curriculum where, where we just tapped in and learned how to connect with the other died and and I was panicking because I was like oh, this is not me this isn't me why, why am I here you know um un, until we sit down to practice like we did and get a partner that you don't know and all of a sudden I saw this little 10 year old boy running around with his basketball and his dog and I told the lady who was here and and immediately she knew who he was and he loved his basketball and and he loved that dog that was running around, and and I, and I was just like, wow. So that's that's how it started. And then and then after Doreen, 
when I would um, do Reiki treatments with people, the the their people on the other side would just start to show themselves, you know, and it was unintentional. I felt like I was dreaming. I felt like I was making it up until I opened my mouth and then they were like, oh yeah, yeah, that's my grandpa. That's my grandpa. And then I, and then I started giving information, which back then, I guess looking back now, it was evidence. It was evidence to prove to them who was with us. And so, yeah, I guess, you know, the, the evidence of who they were kind of like happened at the onset when I didn't even know what I was doing. <laughs> so I really was present when this started for you. Cause I, when I asked you that question, like when, you know, when did it sort of start to happen? I thought there was a possibility that, you know, it had been trickling in before then. I mean, I knew that was a important place for us both to be. Like I felt it so strongly like, Oh, I have to go to that at that time. I have to be there. Mm-hmm. You remember? And I mean, like I knew who you were before I even met you. I just knew yeah. that, that you were there. You were one yeah. of those people that I had to go collect. <laughs> you totally. Know? Um, mm-hmm. From my perspective, that's how it felt. And, um, you know, I, I'm wondering like what was happening to me on the other side of the conference room when I was doing that mediumship exercise, <laughs> because I, there's no telling. I think I probably just did something else. Um, like, um, I just picked up whatever it was I picked up and it might not have had anything to do with mediumship, but just to be clear, because I have taught this to other people so many times and seen it happen, people go in just trying to open up, just trying to connect to whatever, right? Just trying to turn it on. And or they may go in with this intention to communicate with angels, to communicate with guides. And it's the sitter who says, no, wait a minute, that is an actual person that I knew, you know, it's, it's, and so I've heard time and time again from people just attempting to communicate with spirit in, you know, and as a canopy term for all the different things that could mean discover while they're doing these exercises that they are actually speaking to people who have passed away. So was right. that tr- true for you too? Like that's how it happened? It is. It is how it happened. You know, I, I didn't, it wasn't intentional. And and I don't know if you remember this, but um, let's see, after 2008, 2009, 2010, it, it, was, it was happening little by little. And uh, there was a conversation that you and I had years ago. And we were talking about the, the mediumship and, and I, I just wasn't buying it. I still wasn't buying into it. I, I just remember I said to you, I said, I think, I don't know, maybe I'm just a really good guesser. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> That's rational. Um, but yeah, it just, it just trickled in. I went there to Hawaii to learn to connect with the angels. And although I did, um, I was meant to be there to to discover my connection with my mediumship on my insides. So what was it that finally moved you from, I must just be guessing, <laughs> to um, kind of buying it? Well, um, 
All right. So back in 2008, in, in from, two, from 1999 to 2009, I was in the mortgage business. And as we all know, in 2008, that whole world came crashing to earth in flames. And I went down with it. I lost everything. I lost my house to bankruptcy, uh, um, foreclosure. I lost my car to uh, repossession. I lost a 10-year relationship. I, I mean, everything. And um, after that, I was like, okay, heaven, uh, if this is what I'm supposed to do, let's do it. So I had a little website back then. I was doing readings, you know, um, angel card readings, um, tarot. Um, occasionally, uh, somebody from the other side would come through. Um, but it was more just uh, like the cards. Um, but it was not, it wasn't, it wasn't taking care of me. Like I, I couldn't, I was living with friends. I, you know, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't care for myself. And one day I had an absolute meltdown with heaven. And I said, listen, I will do whatever it is I need to do for you, but I will not do it broke. I mean, a full on temper tantrum. I was crying my eyes out. I was screaming. I was banging on the steering wheel in the car. And, you know, within, I'm going to say probably within the next, it was quick. I, you know, it, feel, it feels like it was a month, but I'm going to say maybe within the next six months, I had this new job where I was taking care of an older retired, retired couple. I was their personal assistant and did everything for them. So, so as fate would have it, heaven gave me this job and this job basically set myself up financially to be what I need to be. And halfway through it, somewhere around 2015, heaven started knocking and the call was louder than ever. Um, and I couldn't deny it. It was just everywhere. I was I was starving for all things spiritual. I couldn't get enough. I couldn't read enough books about mediums and mediumship and their experiences. I couldn't listen to enough podcasts. Um, and it was just it just filled me from the inside out. And I just knew. I mean, it's a, it's a calling that you just you you can't turn your head away any longer. You just, you just know. So I knew that once this job would be over, this is what I would be doing. And the job ended at the end of 2018. Somewhere around 2016, I was listening to Sandra Champlain's podcast, We Don't Die. And she was talking about her experience having gone to the Arthur Finley College in England. And this is it's like a, it's like a, a Hogwarts for mediums and psychics. <laughs> and it is. It's this massive mansion where everybody stays in. There's, I don't know, it's, it's like a dorm and, and you're all doing your thing. And that's where I went last year in 2019 after my job was over and... It was magical. I was following 
heaven's bread breadcrumbs basically. And I got myself out there. I was so scared. Oh, I was so scared. And I got there. There, I think there must have been about a hundred people there. And it was it was frightening for me because I felt so insecure, having not done really any of this. The little part of me was just like, why am I here? Like, really, why am I here? All of these people have been here five, seven, nine, even one lady, nineteen times. Wow. And um, they're all they're all professionals. They, you know, I just felt so small, right? Um, leading up to June of last year, I was doing practice readings really for the first time since Doreen. And um, I had connected with you, if you remember, and I got myself hooked up with a bunch of people in the in the um, automatic intuition. That's right. Facebook group, right? So I started doing um, practice readings uh, March of last year, and um, and it, it was it was just like one right after another. It was amazing to me how how it all worked for me, how it just came out and how everything, almost everything, not, not quite, not everything, obviously, but almost everything was just so meaningful to the people sitting on the other side of the screen. And so fast forward to June of last year, I had done maybe, I don't know, 28 practice readings and the first day that we were there, we were all required to sit with the head tutor. And he wanted to meet us and he wanted to hear about our experience and how long we've been doing this and what level we were at and all that good stuff. Well, you know, I sat down and I told him, I said, listen, I just started practicing in March. So I am here. I don't care where you place me. You know, there were 60 people in this um, there were two classes going on, a total of 100 people. But in my class, there were 60 people. So 60 people were divided up between four tutors with about 15 in each little class. Um, and they were, they were separated by level, you know, beginners, intermediates, and advanced. And I told Chris, I said, listen, I, this is where I am. But I know I'm supposed to be here, and I trust heaven, and heaven will put me where I'm supposed to be. And so if you're the one making the decision, I trust that you'll know exactly what to do with me. And that was that. And the next day came out, and, you know, you run to the board and see what, what, what house, you know, what house you've been placed in, Gryffindor, <laughs> Slytherin. <laughs> and um, come to find out I was in his group. And I was like, okay, that's cool. I had already heard of Chris, and I wanted to be with him. But what I didn't realize was that I was with the advanced group. And that first day, that next morning, we get into the sanctuary where our, our class met. And Chris started talking about our group and us being together for the week. And then he introduced me as the water baby. And we were all kind of looking at each other, a little like little confused. He said, you all know what a water baby is. And we're kind of shaking our head. He said, 
He said, you know, a lot of mothers, when their babies are like six months old, they go swimming with them. And the water babies instinctively know how to swim. They're not afraid. They instinctively know how to hold their breath and dog paddle and flip upside right so they can breathe, you know. And, and he said, and Jeff is our water baby. He instinctively connects with spirit, and we're going we're gonna to give him some tools this week. He's supposed to be here with all of us. And I was like, wow, okay. So the very first exercise Much like Doreen, when you and I were there, you know, you grab a partner and we sat down with our partner and he said, all right, decide who's going to be the medium and who's going to be the sitter. So we decided that I was going to go first. And he said, okay. He said, mediums, close your eyes. And so the mediums close their eyes. And he says, your next piece of instruction, sitters, get up and find a new medium. And, and so uh, everybody's getting up and, and um, it was fascinating because you know how when we first meet somebody, we subconsciously hold an immediate judgment. You know, if, mm -hmm. if I'm sitting down with a middle-aged woman who looks like she could be a mother, boom, I just made a judgment. So, so he had us close our eyes. And now we have somebody sitting in front of us <clears throat> that I had no idea. You know, what, I didn't know if it was a man. I didn't know if it was a woman. And he made certain to tell all the sitters to stay silent so that none of us mediums knew whether they were male or female. And then he said, your last piece of instruction, sitters, you will not give any validation to your medium. You will sit there silently and take notes, mediums. You will deliver exactly what you are getting without validation. No yeses, no noes, no nods of the head, no taps on the knee. Your eyes are closed and they'll remain closed. And I was like, whoa. So it starts. And immediately I feel this 18-year-old boy. And I said, I said, I have a, an 18-year-old boy here. This is your son. Um, I said, he is, I started describing his personality. He was a wild child. He was a leader. He was uh, risky. He was fun. He was charismatic. He was, uh, you know, magnetic. People just were drawn to him. And um, he was a joker. And and I said, he, I said he's, he's showing me his passing. It, he, he, he was in a car accident. And I said, there are two others with him. And I, I'm supposed to say it was an accident, Mom. It was an accident, Mom. It was an accident. And, and I said, and I just heard the name James again. This is the third time I heard the name James. So I said, I said James. And um, there were quite a few pieces in there. I don't remember everything. But... Um, at the end, when Chris told us to, to wrap it up and open our eyes, I opened my eyes to this beautiful lady named Carrie, and she, was, she had tears rolling down her face, and she was scrambling, taking notes as quickly as she could. And she said, before he goes away, 
are there any, is there anything he wants to say to me? Does he have any messages? And I said, you know, I, the only thing I want to do right now is I just want to give up. I want to get up and give you a great big hug. I just want to squeeze you. And she kind of gasped a little bit and she goes, oh. she said, yes, he was known for his hugs. I loved his hugs. He was known for his hugs. And so, um, Afterwards, it was just she started reading through everything, and she did. She had this 18-year-old boy that died in a car accident with two of his friends, and and for a while they didn't know if it was an accident. They didn't know if they were, you know, um, drinking or or horsing around or or you know whatever teenagers teenagers do, you know. Um, so for him to say it was an accident, it was an accident, it was an accident. You know, it was just. Um, it was so meaningful. His middle name was James. And um, it was powerful. I mean, it was palpable within myself. And to have been given that experience, the very first step out the door, it was just the beginning, you know? And I thought, okay, heaven, yep. I followed the breadcrumbs. I know why I'm here. Let's do this, you know? So... I guess um, to answer your question more about the evidence, that's a little. It, it speaks more to the to the kind of evidence that comes through, you know, that really hits home for the sitter in front of me. It's amazing. Did you ever? Did you have any experiences that stumped you, like where you were like, "Oh, that one was a dud," <laughs> because I I think it's important for people to know that you can have a bad reading. Oh, absolutely. Completely. Um, and, and it's still, you know, I'm still trying to understand how and why today. The tutors tell us that, you know, um, well, I, and it kind of makes sense. Here's the deal. You know, our people on the other side, they're still themselves, right? They're still themselves. And just like in life today, when we meet people as we're cruising through life, we don't get along with everybody. We don't mesh with everybody. We don't resonate with everybody. And we just don't click. So some people you're able to really like boom and you're on with each other and you just, you're, you're, you're able to easily go back and forth, back and forth and you just click. Some people... You don't. And it's very similar with the other side. You know, you just might not click with that person. Mm. You know, you just might not click. Um, um, another, another thing that they say is, is, you know, maybe they just haven't quite figured out how to communicate from that side. Maybe they just haven't figured out how to do it just yet. Much like I've been learning and I've been doing and we all learn as we're, you know, moving along in our mediumship. They just might not even have that quite figured out. So um, it, it does happen. And, and it's interesting because when you do, when, as a medium, when you do feel that person blend with your energy, when you feel them, they come right up. It feel, for, for me, it feels like they step up right behind me. And it just feels like they're right behind me. Much like 
much like in life, if you're sitting like at your cafe slate, if you're sitting at your cafe and you're you're focusing on your computer and you're in the zone, if somebody walked up behind you, you would feel it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? You would feel it and you would you would you'd be like, huh? And you'd turn your head. You'd they'd be there, right? Yeah. It's very similar. Um they, I can feel them standing behind me. And in a reading that isn't going so well, that feeling isn't there. You know, they feel they feel distant. It just the connection feels weak. Um yeah, that that absolutely happens. Do you think maybe some people who are on the other side in spirit form aren't necessarily like you said I guess maybe we make the assumption that all spirits are able to communicate like the ones that communicate really well, but there could be a lot of factors about them that limit what they're capable of doing. Yeah, absolutely. For whatever it, reason. Yeah, you know, it makes sense. It it really makes sense when you think about it because if, okay, for instance, if, if I had, um, and it's happened many times, you know, I have um, a, a a mother and a father come through or a grandmother and a grandfather. Um, it seems to me more often than not, one of them was the voice piece of the family. You know, one of them was more vocal. One of them was more, one of them wore the pants, right? Whether right. it was the, whether it was the mother or the father. Um, um, a lot of times I've found, you know, one of them was just quieter, just didn't have as much to say, a little bit softer, a little bit, you know, kind of stayed in the, in the, in the shadows a little bit, you know, let, let their spouse, um, take, take the lead and make the plans and communicate and express, you know, um, people who, who didn't communicate a lot here in life. Well, they really, you can't really expect them to get over there and be all, you know, chatty Kathy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because they're still themselves. So, um, well, and I don't mean to make it about like (laughs) reading failures or anything like that, because I just know that so many people who listen to the show are interested. They do have, you know, insecurities and it's really easy when you hear someone talking about doing the things that we do, it can come across as if it's like, it's the easiest thing in the world and it's both incredibly hard and kind of easy at the same time. It's hard to explain totally, uh, um, you know, the, the difference between trying and allowing, you know, um, just all that stuff, you know? Um, but over the past year or so that you've really sort of ramped up since going and doing the training at Arthur Finley, um, you've had a lot of incredible readings and I know because I know some of the people who've had readings with you and they've told me about them, you know, yeah. Behind your back, sometimes to your face, but, <laughs> um, but you know, is, is there anything that like, cause the thing that people don't know, you know, we're having this very artificially canned and proper conversation here, but our connection is much more Jeff does a reading and I get a flurry of like 10 tweets that are, or not tweets, but text messages that are like, you know, a hundred words a piece. And they're like, Oh my God, I just did this reading and this happened. You know what I mean? And you have, um, these really exciting 
results that happen you know in in your in your readings um is there any that come to mind recently that you haven't um gushed about that you you feel a need to tell me about um oh my gosh yes uh okay so so um as i'm making my way um you know just kind of, like I said earlier, following heaven's breadcrumbs, I know that I am being, um, what's the word? I know that I'm being led to public demonstration. I know that I'm being led to being what they call in England on the platform, you know, on the stage. You've seen Teresa Caputo on the stage, uh, Thomas John, um, John Edward, you know. Um, I know that's where I'm headed. And so, I've been practicing on my own with uh, little groups on Zoom. And my very first Zoom group, I had four ladies with me. And it was, it was incredible. It was, like, it was like I had, I don't know, about in my mind's eye, I could see like a line of people standing behind me, about maybe seven or eight people. And I just knew that um, they were just going to step forward and and say their their piece, and and um, I would just go from one to the next, and that's exactly what happened. And um, one of them, one of them was a very good friend of mine, and I have had a really um, my friends know that I would not do readings for them because the friends that I've known for 30 years, I just, I feel like I know too much. I know, I know their stories. I know their history. I know the people that have crossed over and I, and I didn't want to read for them and pepper the reading with my own egoic thoughts or memories. You know, I didn't, I was afraid that I was going to not be able to connect properly. Well, my friend was in on this group reading and after the first person had her parents come through, suddenly I had a father and I was explaining this father and I said, this father, he was loving, but he's showing me a distance. There's a, there's a physical distance and an emotional distance. And, um, and I said, he's showing me cars and airplanes. So, so, you know, cars were, they, they, he loved his cars, the airplanes, he traveled for work. Um, I think I said a couple other things, but I said, is anybody on, is anybody able to take this man? Does anybody understand what I'm saying? And there were a couple hands went up and I said, okay, let me get a couple more pieces. And I brought through a few more pieces of information and the hands went down and I thought, really, you guys? I, and I said, okay, you guys, I said, let's go back through the, from the beginning. I said, this man, I, I know he's a father. I know that he, he was a loving father and he was distant. There was an emotional distance, a physical distance. He loved his cars. He traveled for work. There's something about him that feels international. Um, and I said, it's, it's an international feeling like not so much traveling just for work, but he was rooted internationally. Like he lived in another country. And I said, really, you guys, is there anybody that can take this? And then my friend Tara slowly raises her hand. And I said, I said, honey, it's you, really? This is your dad? And she goes, yeah, this is my dad. 
And so I said, okay, you guys, I said, for anybody that knows me, they know that I have not read for friends because I'm just afraid of peppering it with my own thoughts and memories. So I said, you guys, I'm going to turn my body. I don't want to see the screen. I don't want to see Tara's face. I need to completely focus on spirit and just surrender. So I turned my body and I just started talking. And, um, and it was, it was, it was astounding. He he brought up this this instance this instance with a car. I said it feels like an accident, but it's not an accident. It's a big something big happened in his car, and um, I said, "Do you understand this?" And she said, "Yes." And I said, um, "And I'm I'm being brought back to his head. I'm feeling like like a um, a brain bleed or a um, like a a stroke or an embolism or something in the brain, a brain trauma." And she said, "Yes." And, um, and then he said to me, he said, you've heard stories, you've heard rumors. That's all they are is stories and rumors. There's not a day that has gone by that I have not regretted having to leave you and your mother. It was my job. It was for my job. And, um, um, at the very end he showed me, uh, he handed her a bouquet of long stem red roses. And what I've come to understand in my readings is when they, when they hand over long stem red roses, it symbolizes an anniversary, whether it's an anniver- a marriage anniversary, a death anniversary, um, something. Now, when I got this and I brought up the roses, she didn't understand what they meant, and I forgot to tell her that it symbolizes an anniversary. I said, okay, just hold on to that for a couple of days. You know, maybe it'll come to you, maybe it won't. Um, so afterwards, you know, she explained. Um, yeah, her dad did leave her and her mother when she was two. This much I knew. Um, she hasn't heard or seen, heard from or seen him since. And, his, and her mother has not spoken about him once in the last 48 years. And... Um, Oh, I have to tell you, I have to go back. Um, he was telling me, he said he, ha- he still has some family members left that you could connect with to get more of the story. There's a family member that lives on the East Coast who you could connect with. He's also telling me, and this was another thing, he's also telling me, I said, you guys, what does T.O. mean? What does T.O. mean? And somebody hollered, uncle. I said, you have an uncle who lives in the country that he lived in. Um, I said, the flag is three colors. Do you understand the three-color flag? She said, yes. So at the end, she's explaining all of this. She said um, a year ago, she was, grew interested and she got on Ancestry.com and she did the DNA test. Through some research, she found her dad's cousin who lived on the East Coast. She spoke with him and he really didn't have a lot of information for her, but he did tell her that he has an uncle, he has a brother that still lives in the country that he lived. And that would be Tara's uncle. Um, she found out that by talking to her dad's cousin on the East Coast, she found out that um, her dad worked for an oil company in Colombia. And it, it, there weren't, so many honest things that were going on. And 
he basically was a um, um, whistleblower. And one day, they came after him, and they, they ran him off the road. They pulled him out of the car. That was the car incident. They pulled him out of the car. They took him to a secret location, um, ended up shooting him in the head. That was the brain trauma. And it was just overwhelming. It brought Tara so much peace knowing that he's still with her. He's still part of her life. Um, it brought her so much peace that, 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 that he, he wasn't, you know, she didn't know what was happening over the last 48 years. She didn't know if he was a bad guy. She didn't know if, you know, if, if he left them because he didn't want her. And she knows now more than ever that, that, that it was because of this job. He had to protect his family. And talking with her about four or five days later, she said, today's the anniversary that my dad was kidnapped. And that was the symbolizing red roses at the very end of that reading. So it was just um, a whole lot of wow. It was a whole lot of wow for her. It was a whole lot of wow for her friends that were sitting on the call or on the Zoom with us. For everybody to witness this, one of them knew the whole story. I didn't know the whole story. Um, but for everybody, it was just so healing on so many levels. It was just miraculous. Something that I've wanted to just flat out ask you just really specifically. And I mean, you know, when you're friends with somebody, you get bits and pieces of things here and there. But I don't know that I've really just asked you before. What do you believe happens when we die? Like, what is that over there? That's What's the situation. <laughs> um, you know, I, I believe that we close our eyes here. And as soon as we close our eyes here, we open our spiritual eyes. And we experience a level of peace and love that we really can't comprehend here in human form. Um, I think, well, for me, with my experience, I think the closest thing we can get is the love of our pets, you know? <laughs> um, but, but I think that we just close our eyes and then our, our, our real eyes open and and I think that a lot of it has to do with with what we believe here, what we truly believe. You know, if we if we are um, a devout Christian, you know, we are going to wake up on the other side and experience Jesus and and what Christians, you know, um, live for. Um, I believe that that you know if if we if we are you know Buddhist if we're Hindu you know we're gonna we we create this this heaven that we wake up to on the other side. Um, I believe that our people are nobody crosses over alone. Our loved ones are there. They're there waiting for us. I I read once somewhere that um, 
um, somebody, uh, a medium, a teacher had said that um, the, our loved ones on the other side get the call 30 days before we go. And so they just kind of um, get themselves prepared and ready for your um, welcome home party. And um, I think that um, I think people who are agnostic, um, atheist, I think that, um, you know, they close their eyes and they open their eyes on the other side. And and I think that they're I think that they might be like, huh, (laughs) (laughs) you know, Um, and, you know, I I, want to go to um, uh, an experience that I had with my friend Lucas. My friend Lucas died tragically in May of 2017. Mm-hmm. And um, he was getting out of the shower, and he slipped, and he fell, and he hit the back of his head on the corner of his vanity. And I'm assuming knocked himself out, somehow came to, made his way to his bed. And if anybody knows, if you ever hit your head, the last thing you want to do is lay down. And um, anyway, he laid down, and he passed. Um, I got the call. It was a Thursday, and on Saturday, Lucas came to me, and um, it was like it was like he was showing me his experience. Um, about three or four months before that, he had lost his dog. His dog, Sadie, uh, ran out the front door and ran right into the the street and just got hit by a car. It was like he, in the blink of an eye. Oh. And um, and he was showing me that, like, for Lucas, I th- I know that he knew that he fell. I know that he knew that he laid down, and I think that he was dreaming. I or I think that he felt like he was dreaming. He was he showed me he was sitting there in all of this light, and Sadie was running around him in circles and running around him in circles. And I think that he was like, wait a minute, like, holy cow, oh wow. And then you know, and then here come his loved ones. Um, so. Yeah, you know, it's 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 fascinating. Um, a, a book that I read years ago in 2015, when when everything started to really, I couldn't I, I couldn't quench that thirst. Um, a book called the The Afterlife of Billy Fingers really summarizes it beautifully. He talks about he talks about his passing and and this. I think it's his sister who wrote the book, and and she basically channeled it you know through he channeled it through her and talking about his experience but um yeah you know i just i just i really believe that we just close our eyes here and our our real eyes open up how does um what you believe or perceive it to be now compare to where you brought up with a religious background did you is it affirming to what you've always believed or has it surprised you um you know i grew up just a a totally normal not very exciting or interesting life you know we weren't super religious we went to church we went my parents belonged to the lutheran church um so we went to church, but but they weren't super religious. Um, but looking back, 
I mean, I guess I just knew. Somewhere deep down, I just knew. I knew that there was more. And and I I say this because being a little kid, going through church, going through Sunday school, you know, you learn that um, when you die, your soul goes to heaven. Of course, you know, in that religion and the other Christian religions, you go to heaven if you believe in Jesus. Um, but your soul goes to heaven. Well, I remember being really upset. I was so upset because I didn't understand that my soul was me. I I was feeling that I was me, my body, my corporeal human flesh. And like, why would I have to die and my soul gets to go and I don't, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I just knew. I just knew. And since I was a little kid, I've always had this um, this unusual penchant for spirit. I couldn't explain it. I was always really interested in spirit, in the paranormal, in um, energy, in energy work. You know, when I was um, 12, I think, it was early 80s, um, I saw a movie with Ellen Bernstein called Resurrection. And in this movie she has she has the healing touch and you know she she touches people with you know say polio or or a number of huge diseases and and she takes on their illness and then able is able to transmute it and and heals herself leaving them both completely healed well this this movie affected me so deeply so deeply I never ever ever forgot it and I just remember her putting her hands on these people and watching watching them heal and I just knew um thus you know as fate would have it leading me to the Reiki in 2006 and watching and having the experiences I had with that and so so yeah you know I just I just always knew I it was it wasn't a surprise it hasn't been a surprise all of the experiences that I've had with spirit throughout the readings that I've been doing, um, uh, yeah, it's it's just a knowing, you know. It's just it's a knowing, and it's awesome. Here's a question I get asked a lot by people who say, for instance, if someone asks me about a medium or someone asks me about getting a reading with you specifically, something I hear a lot is. When should they do that? Like, say, for instance, you just lost someone. Is there an amount of time that you should wait before you try to contact someone? Or is that something that just, you know, it, it happens when it happens and everything works out? Or is there any kind of consideration you should take into mind about getting a reading if you've recently lost somebody? Well, you know, I've had... Many people ask me this. Um, in fact, I just did last week. Um, uh, this lady lost a, a really close friend of hers to suicide, and and uh, uh, somebody who had a, had a reading with me gave her my name, and and um, and she asked me, "Is it too soon?" And you know, I just I just had to tap in. I think it's I think it's different with everybody. I think um, a lot of teachers, medium mediumship teachers, will say, you know that they need some time. They need some time to acclimate. They need some time to to just get their bearings together over there. 
Um, but like with Lucas, Lucas came through to me two days after he passed, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, uh, and he came across many times. So, um, I have to segue to this story cause I want to tell you this kind of relates to what you're saying. So, um, about four days after Lucas passed, he'd already made himself known to me. I was in my kitchen and I was cooking and all of a sudden I felt Lucas and I, and I heard him say in my mind, I heard him say, tell them to stop fighting, tell them to stop fighting. I don't care what they do with my body. I don't, I'm good with, ev- I'm good with anything. So I texted my friend Gus, who is Lucas's uncle. Lucas's mother is Gus's sister. And I said, hey, are Lucas's parents fighting over what to do with his body, whether it should be buried or, or cremated? And I said, I think they're fighting. Text them right now and tell them that Lucas is here and just tell him he's okay with whatever. It's okay. Just stop fighting. And so Gus texted his sister right away and they were flabbergasted because they were (laughs) in the middle of a a heated discussion of, uh, you know, what to do. And they were just like, oh my gosh, it completely alleviated all the tension for them. So for Lucas, you know, he came through just a few days later. Um, Other people, you know, have... You know, they lost somebody within the last couple of months, and and it's crickets. It's crickets. So there goes back to, you know, did they, are they just not ready? Are they just, did they not quite learn how to pick up the phone on the other side yet? Do they not know? Um, it, it, it's, I, I think it's, I think it just really depends on the, the person, honestly. However, with this lady last week, you know, I just... I just have to tap in and I just get a feeling, I just get a sense that he just needs some time. I told her, you know, give him, give him two or three months to get himself acclimated. Another thing that I know um, relates, if somebody is in the throes of massive grief, if somebody is just in the throes of massive grief, that too can have a tendency to block the communication because this person could be just so filled with desperation, you know, um, and, and that in itself can have an effect on, on how the connection, how strong the connection can be. So, yeah, you know, I'm just, I'm going to say with my experience and it's, it, it depends on the person. So for anyone who's listening and is thinking it needs to be, I need one of these readings. I need to talk to him. Um, make sure and tell everyone where they can go to find you online or to contact you about getting a reading. I can be found. My website is jeffreypeck.com. That's J-E-F-F-R-E-Y-P-E-C-K. Jeffreypeck.com. I'm on Facebook, um, Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey Peck, Evidential Medium. Um, I am on Instagram. Um, you know what, Slate? I got to look it up. I'm not even quite sure what my Instagram. I'm going to say Jeffrey J. Peck. <laughs> well, I'm sure you have links to everything else yes, as they I get do. to your get to your website. <laughs> um, there's one thing I want to ask you before yes. I let you go for today, because I'm sure I'll talk to you <laughs> soon yes. after. But what do you hope? that you can contribute to the lives of the people that you read for? Oh, 
I hope that I can deliver a sense of peace, a sense of hope, a sense that they can leave with knowing that their people are here with them, knowing that their people who have passed are still very much alive. I want more than anything for everybody to know as much and as deeply as I know that that we don't die. And as hard as it is when we lose our people, their bodies are gone. Their bodies aren't here anymore, but, but they are. They're still with us. They still are very much a part of our lives. They're still a very much a part. They, they give us messages. They drop, you know, they, through, through um, songs, you might hear uh, uh, a song that, that totally reminds you of them and, and you just happen to flip the station at that moment. Well, they may have nudged you to flip that station so that, so that you'll go right into that sense of love about them. Um, you, you may get little flickers of, the, of a light in your, in your house or the TV or any electronics that flick, flicker and flash. They, they are always, they want to talk to us as much as we want to talk to them. And I, I hope to leave anybody who comes to me knowing that, that they are still here and the love never dies. That was great, Jeff. Thank you for agreeing to do this. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. It's gone so fast. (laughs) Thanks again for listening to the Shift Your Spirits podcast. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever app you prefer. For show notes, links, transcripts, and all the past episodes, please visit shiftyourspirits.com. You can also download a free ebook and a meditation to help you connect with your guides. If you'd like to get an intuitive reading with me or with one of our featured practitioners, please go to sladeroberson.com readings. And if you're interested in my professional intuitive training program, you can start the course for free by downloading the attunement at automaticintuition.com. Before I go, I promise to leave you a message and answer to a question or a concern you may have. So take a moment to think about that. Hold it in your mind or speak it out loud. I'll pause for just a few seconds right now. Seven of Pentacles Patience, investment, sustainability. Hard work pays off. The seeds have been planted and you're now starting to see the fruits of your labor. Like a badass, you're looking toward the future with long-term strategy, putting effort into investments for the best returns. Timing is key for the sustainability of your ventures, cultivating your ideas with the care they deserve. This isn't just about money. This is about passion. You're putting blood, sweat, and tears into something you feel very strongly about, building a foundation for your personal freedom. Your ideas are coming into fruition, visibly growing before your eyes. Patience is key, 
as this will take some time to manifest the way that you envisioned. No get-rich-quick schemes here. You're in it for the long haul. And I'll talk to you later.